Well, I can just uh, remind you for a moment or two of the, the bulletin or the notices that are available. You may have already picked one up at the uh, uh, welcome desk or downloaded it. Um, just remind you of all the engagements this week, and particularly again, uh, remind you of Faith Academy, which will be meeting uh, next uh, Sunday evening. And uh, some may not have already signed up for Faith Academy, but I encourage you to do that. We're entering our second week. It's not uh, too late to uh, sign up and be part of uh, one of the, the seminars. And of course, you're all welcome to uh, be here in the, in the sanctuary on and, uh, and, and Sunday evening and uh, uh, focus upon the Apostles' Creed with others. But uh, please uh, take note of that and, uh, and go on to the church suite and, and sign up if you uh, want to be part of next week's uh, Faith uh, Academy. Let's uh, join together in prayer again. Let us pray. We've been singing, Our God reigns, he is king of all the earth. And so we bow before you, our gracious God, as we once again open up your word. We thank you for how we have been responding to Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And again this evening, as we meditate upon this, we pray that we may know your Holy Spirit ministering to us, even, even drawing our attention again to these great truths of the good news. And we pray, Father, that we may have minds and hearts to respond to the King of Kings, and may he rule in our hearts. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I'll ask you to turn up the reading on page 1140. Uh, Romans chapter 13, you may be following it in your Bible, or maybe you have the, uh, the journal with you, and you're, you're following it in it. And uh, I will be concentrating mainly on the, the first half of Romans 13 this evening. And uh, the New International Version uh, gives the, this section the title, Submission to Governing Authorities. Uh, and the text reads at the beginning, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, when Christoph asked me to preach from Romans 13, it never struck me that I was to be preaching from this text on the weekend of the coronation of the king. I might have refused if I'd known that, but uh, what a weekend of pageantry, ceremony, and theater it has been. In fact, Florence and I were in London last weekend, and we experienced some of the stateliness and mystery that people were anticipating. Uh, and we attended All Souls uh, Church on Sunday morning. Uh, and experienced some of the, the excitement there too of the, the, the week that was ahead of them. For they were going to go out onto the streets witnessing to the, the King of Kings and distributing a little booklet, a little Mark's Gospel entitled The King of Kings. And, and we're preparing for a special night last night, last Saturday night, at uh, 
the Royal Albert Hall, where they were having the coronation prom Prius. Uh, and I think some of you know Rico Tice, and uh, Florence and I again got talking to our friend Rico last Sunday, uh, and, and he was in a euphoric mood, anticipating the opportunity to preach to the audience of hundreds in the Royal Albert Hall. And if you did happen to see it last night, it streamed, and you can still go on and watch that, um, he was in a great mood as he preached the good news of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, did you stand in front of your TV and vow allegiance to King Charles III? The, the Archbishop had suggested um, that people, wherever they were, viewing the coronation from Westminster Abbey, could stand and repeat the vow of allegiance. I swear that I will pay true allegiance to your majesty and to your heirs and successors according to law. So help me God. Now, there were mixed views whether one should commit such allegiance. When Paul wrote the text we consider this evening, there must have been mixed views amongst the believers the church in Rome. There were conflicting theological views that Paul was addressing in this letter. We have been expounding them in the, in the first half of the letter. In chapter 13, there is the allusion to how these Judean Christians and Gentile Christians were struggling under an alien Roman authority. The letter is written in the days of Nero, when Christians were constantly vulnerable to Nero's discriminatory treatment. It was possible there were believers uh, among them who had an imbalanced view of government, were influenced by a zealot culture, who were always uh, suspicious of the governing authority. It was to be opposed. It was to be ignored. Some who were identified as super spiritual believers considered all institutions as being outside the coming age, the coming new age, not to be conformed to, and in fact interpreted as evil. Last week, if you have been following this series and were present, you will remember that Neil emphasized the pragmatism included in chapter 12. Previously, the thrust of Paul's letter was expounding the wonderful good news that our salvation is by grace through faith in the risen Lord. The Lord whom we submit to as king of our lives. And in chapter 12, Paul turns to how we are to live in response to the king of our lives, who's enthroned, I trust, in our hearts. That king, and our response to the king who has received us through grace. Chapter 12 begins, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is how, this is your true and proper worship. 
The text last week was dealing with how we live as living sacrifices in the community God has placed us. You may remember Neil referred to the Christians' response in their neighborhood. And Paul referred to issues that were causing conflict of conscience for the Roman Christians. Persecution is alluded to in chapter 12 and verse 14. A harmonious community was an aspiration in verse 16. Peacemaking was a desire it was desirable in verse 18. Taking vengeance against an offender was addressed in verse 19. Reconciliation with an enemy was an imperative in verse 20. Now, it seems to me that these references were hinting there were conflicts of conscience and antipathy to the authoritarian administration in Rome. It's not so strange that Paul follows prescribed actions with how these believers were to act as subject to the king of kings. How as living sacrifices, they were to act as holy and pleasing to God. As proper worshippers of God, being transformed by the renewing of the mind. We read in chapter 12 and verse 2. So here in Romans 13, he begins by referring to the sovereignty of God. So first of all, as we look at these verses, we see God is sovereign. The first thing we acknowledge when we consider the state is that those in power are subject to God's authority. In adoration of God in prayer, we, we use the words uh, often from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. And praise God that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. God is sovereign. Yesterday, King Charles was greeted by, as I said, a, a young chorister with the words, Your Majesty, as children of the kingdom of God, we welcome you in the name of the King of Kings. This was recognition of the King of Kings and God's sovereignty. God is sovereign and rules supreme. It may not always be acknowledged by those in authority, but it is the truth we believe and is to be humbly surrendered to and reverently recognized. As Christians in relationship to God through Jesus Christ, we respond to God always as Lord of our lives, as King, as the one enthroned in our lives. He is on the throne. And if we know God through faith in Jesus, then as a citizen of the kingdom of God, which we are, then God's rule is central in our lives. So as we think about our submission to the authorities, we firstly acknowledge our submission primarily is to God's rule in our lives. No other allegiance but to God and his rule in our lives. Then as we see here, secondly, authorities are established by God. 
verse 1. We recognize the relationship that those in authority have with God. Paul says, there is no authority except that which God has established. In the secular world we are in today, the idea that God has authority over the monarch and the politicians who sit in the house of authority is not generally considered. The service of coronation we viewed yesterday to a great degree affirmed the truth of the Bible, that all who rule are under the sovereignty of God. Now, I would not be surprised if we did a survey of those in Westminster asking, do they believe government is established by God, that statistically the opinion would be very low. Some of the 19th century traditions may be complied with there, which I believe might include the occasional prayer. In the distant past, when the assembly at Stormont was being established, wasn't there some debate over the issue of prayers and the length of time ascribed to prayer? I think the outcome was seconds, not minutes. The chaplain of the American Senate was asked once, do you pray for the senators? He replied, no, I look at the senators and I pray for the country. Regarding our understanding, the Christian position remains that of Paul. We recognize God establishes the administration we live under. Remember when Paul, Pilate was questioning Jesus, who represented the Roman authority of Christ's day. Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. I believe, therefore, as we accept God's dominion over those in power and those who rule, that one of the first responsibilities we have to the state is to pray for those in authority. To claim God save the king is not just words that are traditionally and universally proclaimed at state events. They are a prayer a significant prayer. God, save the king. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul writes, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and those in authority, that we may be peaceful and quiet may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. As Christians who submit to the sovereignty of God, we are responsible for the prayers that are to be made for those God has established in positions of authority. In the democracy that we live in, we might not like some politicians, we might not like their views. We might not like the parties 
We might not like their morality or history associated with those in Westminster Parliament or the Stormont Assembly. If it is sitting, as obedient disciples of Christ, the New Testament counsel is clear. We are to pray for them. We will be participating in local council elections in 10 days or so. This forum, according to Scripture, is established by God. In a democracy, we are the instruments God uses to put the council in place, to establish it. We have, therefore, a profound responsibility to pray for the candidates, and to put in place the people who will honor God. And I think I'm challenged by this. Do I always take this calling seriously? Do we as a church take the call to intercession as an imperative and act obediently? And thirdly, do Christians always submit to the authorities? Is it wrong wrong for us to disagree, object, and even rebel against the authorities? Paul, it seems, was addressing those who were inclined to rebel. Verse 2, constantly Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. We see from the the history of the Bible that not all administrations are honoring to God. And there are times when administrations are opposed. Daniel was in exile in Babylon where the Jews had been taken King Darius decreed that prayer was to be directed to him. His administration had convinced him that he was the true sovereign to be bowed down to. But Daniel, we remember, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, could not comply. He prayed to Yahweh and suffered punishment. There have been times in modern history that those in authority have carried out unrighteous administrations. You think of Hitler, Stalin, Amin, Saddam Hussein, and others. And there are some more recent culprits. Michael Cassidy, he founded African Enterprise during the years of South Africa's malevolent apartheid. And in 1985, he was granted an interview with the President Botha, Botha of South Africa. And and Michael, as uh, he went to that interview, hoped for signs of repentance and steps being offered to dismantle apartheid. But he writes how he was disappointed when he entered the room and the first thing the President did was to read from Romans 13. And he used the passage to justify his apartheid policy. 
When the authorities decree what contradicts God's law, we must resist. There are times when Christians have had to disobey the state in order to obey God. And again, we can apply an example from the Old Testament when Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys. They refused to obey. The midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Verse 5, submitting is a matter of conscience, we read there, which many Christians have to weigh up in countries where their faith is outlawed and their families persecuted. Leon Morris, uh, Leon Morris in, uh, commentary, in his commentary and commentates and, and writes in this, and he said, Conscience is a powerful reinforcement of the outward directions to submit to the state. But once conscience is brought in, there is a limit. What is against conscience cannot be done. Conscience at one and the same time obliges us to be obedient and sets a limit to that obedience. In a democracy... We have avenues through which, we, uh, through which to object to certain legislation and laws. And it seems to me that we, we are being, if we're being true to God, we ought to express our views on issues like abortion, sexuality, euthanasia, third world debt, climate change, treatment of minority groups, prison service, fitting punishment, for wrongdoers. As Christians, we remain loyal to God and the authority he establishes. It isn't wrong to write to MPs or for the church to express a view that is against a policy. And it seems to me it is appropriate for us to to support organizations like CARE or the Christian Institute. You, you make your informed choice of what organization to adopt. But it seems to me appropriate to support organizations that take a biblical, biblical position, take a biblically thought-out approach to many of these issues being debated in society. It is important that we read and consider views on current editions or issues and apply our minds to them. It is possible for Christians to differ on some of these issues being debated. It's important that we express our views and we express them with respect. And fourthly, from this passage, we see authorities bear the sword. Uh, and uh, I read again from verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear or the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Those 
established by God are to uphold justice and exercise punishment. Paul is telling his fellow believers, if you do what is right, there's no fear of the authorities, but doing what is wrong will be punished. So do what is right. You may have noticed King Charles was presented with his sword during the coronation ceremony. The archbishop said, Hear our prayers, O Lord, we beseech thee, and so direct and support thy servant King Charles, that he may not bear the sword in vain, but may use it as the minister of God to resist evil and to defend the good. And later he said, May the sword be to you, a sign and symbol, not of judgment, but justice, not might, but mercy. The state's functions are to promote and to reward the good and to restrain and punish the evil. And this is something that is to be our concern as Christians, that the authorities form good laws, that promote what is good for the common good of all and exercise appropriate punishment of the wrongdoer. And fifthly, Christians respect and honor those in authority. And Jesus said, we remember these words, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. One man uh, answered another when they were discussing government, and one said, if you think you're getting too much government, just be thankful you're not getting as much as you're paying for. In Romans 13.6, those in authority are referred to as servants. And this is topical this weekend. This is translated from the same word that means minister of the church. Servant or minister are interchangeable. Um, I remember a little boy answered the door to the uh, minister and his mother cried out, Who is it? The boy replied, It is the prime minister. It was interesting following the coronation service. It was in many ways not dissimilar to a service of ordination in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. The king began the service, as I said, by making the vow, I come not to be served, but to serve. Remember, the word is interchangeable. To be a minister. And those who are in authority are, in, this, in light of this, God's ministers. Now, we don't recognize this sufficiently, I think, in the church. When we consider gifts of, for ministry in the church, we, we think of ministers, missionaries, teachers of the Bible, evangelists, etc. Those who serve the state are God's servants, God's ministers. And we should recognize this, I think, more in the church. We seldom pray for those amongst us who are God's servants. 
civil servants, policemen or, or policewomen, legislators, solicitors, tax collectors, etc. These are God's servants. Encourage them and pray for them. We are also to respect and show honor through honest payment of taxes. You probably know this story. A man was uh, converted and he sent the Inland Revenue a check for 200 pounds with a letter. I have become a Christian. I can't sleep at night because I owe you this. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I will send you the rest. Now, I'm not going to say much on the paying of taxes. As Christians, we are to be faithful and honest in our use of money and our paying of debts. And it has been interesting how in in recent years the work of uh, Christians Against Poverty, CAP, has been developing. More and more Christians are getting into debt. And I know this from my experience in uh, Hollywood. Misuse of plastic cards have left many in trouble. And we're using plastic cards much, much more now. I don't know when I last used a five-pound note. It's always the card. And the more use of them, we're vulnerable to greater debt. And avoidance of tax has also caught up on some, which again, I had experience of in Hollywood, and left people homeless. Honesty honors God and the authorities he has established. I wish I had a little bit more time to go on from verse 8, but I wish um, we read there, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So in conclusion, as we've been considering these verses in chapter 13, our recognition of the state, like all our relationships, is influenced by our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A right relationship with God shapes our relationships with others and shapes our relationship with the state. I conclude with a statement from the the late John Stott. Conscientious Christian citizens will submit to the state's authority, honor its representatives, pay its taxes, and pray for its welfare. Let us uh, join together in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us always to put you first in our lives as we worship you as our 
King of Kings. And we pray for those who are called to serve and rule. This weekend, the focus is on the coronation of the King and Queen of the United Kingdom. We pray for Charles and Camilla as they carry out the traditions of the monarchy. We pray for those who serve as politicians in government, in the nation's parliaments and administrations, in councils and forums. We pray for our local MLAs and for those who are serving councils and for all who are asking for votes in the local elections this month. Lord, in your word, which is the supreme standard to rule and obey, we are reminded that all authority is established by you. We pray that those who rule may seek first your kingdom and righteousness and serve as Christ, faithful to your law, and not for selfish gain, but humble service. We pray for those who suffer where authorities are oppressive and unjust. We pray for believers in Christ who don't enjoy freedom to worship, and are victims of discrimination. And we pray we may as citizens respect the authorities and that those in authority may recognize the principle of common good for all. Grant to us devotion to our true desire to be faithful to the King of Kings in whom we trust and find our salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Christ Jesus, the King upon our throne, the throne of our lives, in whose name we pray. Amen.